Welcome to You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. You are ambitious in life and in your career, but something is missing. You want to bring more of your passion to what you do, because let's be honest, you pour a ton into your work and it needs to mean more. I'm your host, Laura Eigel. I'm a mom, wife, PhD, coach, advocate, introvert, and indoor rowing fanatic. I'm passionate about living a life that's in line with my values. We'll give you the actionable tips and tools you need to lead with your values, make a difference, and have career success. The world needs more diversity and authenticity in the top jobs at organizations. Your leadership belongs there. You belong in the C-suite. What gets you up in the morning? What drives your decisions? What do you stand for? No idea, not even sure where to start? I use my values to guide my life and career. It's the basis of how I've built boundaries for myself and stuck to them. Are you ready to dig into what matters to you? Go to thecatchgroup.com to download your free values worksheet. That's thecatchgroup.com to download your free values worksheet to get to your core values and take action on what matters most. Welcome to this week's episode of the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. It is already December and every year it feels like I am both shocked with how fast the year has gone, but have also felt how long the year has been. If I think about this time last year, I think that it just means time's going really fast. So I really love these episodes because it serves as a time of reflection. So in this episode, We are reviewing our third season of the podcast. This is the third time that I've done this type of episode and I love it. So I'm going to keep doing it. This is a reflection of my company values of celebration, where we want to celebrate our wins and our learning. So we'll share some of both accomplishments of the podcast and my business and some things that we've learned along the way. So one of the things I mentioned in last year's year in review was that podcasting is really great because it has some tangible metrics associated with it. I love being able to see kind of that tangible metric. It's a, it's a really nice thing, especially with my, um, my value of achievement. So to date, we've had over 137 episodes over the course of three years. And I'm happy to report that this year, was a huge year of growth for us in terms of lots of more downloads. So we've had more people find this podcast this year and subscribe to this podcast this year. And that makes me really excited. That has to do with a few things. For instance, we launched earlier this year, the should I stay or should I go quiz where you can take a quiz to understand if you're in alignment with your current role And as you are taking that, you get the chance to download an action plan. So that action plan has free curated links that go back to specific podcast episodes with also some reflection questions. And to date, we've had over 16,000 people take that quiz. Now, not everybody downloads the, the action plan, but it is absolutely driving more people to the podcast, which I love. So more people are finding our content and then listening to the podcast. So this time last year, we had just crossed over 20,000 downloads, total downloads for the podcast. 
And this week we have officially hit over 60,000 downloads total. So for this year alone, we had over 35,000 total downloads, which is more than our first two years and first two seasons combined. So that's really exciting to see a big year of growth and people listening to just different different podcast episodes all the way back to some of our earlier podcast episodes from seasons one and season two. And it's just really fun to be able to see that week over week people coming back and listening. Chartable is one of the places where we track some of our podcast reviews and rankings by country. And this year we've reached top rankings in the business careers podcast charts multiple weeks in different countries like Canada, where we've reached the top 20 and Australia and Great Britain, where we've ranked in the top 50 of career podcasts just this quarter. And when you look at the podcasts on a global scale, there's a website called Listen Notes, where they rank different podcasts uh, based on popularity and downloads. And we are ranked in the top 5% of all podcasts. So this podcast is one of the top five most popular shows out of a total kind of universe of podcasts of over 3 million podcasts. Yes, there are that many podcasts in the world right now. So we're in the top 5% of over 3 million podcasts, which is really interesting and exciting. And I don't really know what my goal is. It's never been to be the biggest podcast, but it is to make a big impact to our listeners, to give them tangible tools to reach career fulfillment, to be in roles that they want to be in, to impact organizations in a positive way, and to get more diversity and authenticity in the top jobs at organizations. And by increasing our reach and increasing the number of downloads, I think we are impacting more and more people. And I really love that. So I'm really proud of that and the growth specifically that we've had this year. So we took a look at our most downloaded episodes and some of my favorites throughout season three, and we're going to be highlighting some of those in our episode today. So let's get started. This year was the first time we did a series within the podcast where we had a block of episodes in a row that linked together. And our theme for our first ever series was on career transition. In this four episode series, these are episodes number 96 through 99, we covered the following topics. Should I stay or should I go? Evaluating career opportunities with your values first. What are you leaving behind? and how to get the support you need in career transition. In building this series, I took learnings from my own career transitions and the things that worked for my clients as they transitioned to their new roles. I work with highly accomplished leaders and they transition careers or jobs for multiple reasons. Sometimes it was in their control and sometimes it wasn't. They could be leaving a company that they've worked for for over 10 years to reach career advancement that they couldn't achieve in their current place. They may be leaving a job that they love, but it's a toxic workplace or with a boss that's not great. They may be leaving because their companies did another round of layoffs and this time they were the ones that were impacted. They may be leaving a company that they love, but for a better opportunity that's in more in line with their values. In every instance, I suggest this debrief exercise called what are you leaving behind? 
Sometimes I have clients do this exercise multiple times at different points in time in the transition process, because the process is just that it is a transition process. And sometimes it's messy. It can bring up a lot of things, even after many months into their transitions at their new companies, they've brought something with them from their previous role that they didn't even realize that they were holding on to. So let's listen to this clip from episode 98. What are you leaving behind? from the Career Transition Series. All that stuff that happens in the transition between leaving your last opportunity and starting your next, that's what we're gonna talk about today. So if you aren't processing some of those thoughts and mindsets and feelings about that transition, especially leaving a toxic culture before you go into your next role, you may bring some of that stuff with you. Let's use the analogy of luggage, right? You just went on a trip. You have been carrying a lot with you, dealing with so much in that not so great culture that you're leaving. And if you're still carrying those bags with you, if you don't put them down, if you don't unpack and do laundry in between trips, AKA your next role, then you are probably just bringing those same heavy bags with you to your next role into that next culture. Those bags are heavy. You are exhausted. It has been a long trip. It's heavy with regret, heavy with emotions, heavy with hypervigilance, wondering if this next place will be like the last, heavy just with a lot of things. So in this transition period, I want you to put those bags down, empty them, do that laundry before you pack for your next trip. Understand what you want to bring with you on your next trip. And what you want to stay home or even just get rid of. I want you to ask the questions. What am I leaving behind? And what am I taking with me to my next role? In 2023, I did something that I've never done before. I released an audiobook. My book, Values First, How Knowing Your Core Beliefs Can Get You the Life and Career You Want, was published in 2022, and at the time, I wasn't ready to record an audiobook. The one-year anniversary of publication seemed like a great way to celebrate the book with the release of the audiobook, with a sneak peek of the audio recording in the podcast episode. So we're going to listen to some behind-the-scene from that episode, from episode 113, Values First Audiobook. You can grab the audiobook on Audible and iTunes. Let's take a listen of the behind the scenes process. At the time of its release, I wasn't ready to record it yet. And my publisher suggested getting a professional narrator to do it, but that didn't really seem right to me. Because if you've read the book and you listen to this podcast, then you know that it's filled with stories about my career. So it seemed weird to me to have someone else narrate that because it's my experience and I wanted to to read it if I and when I did an audiobook. So I thought, how hard could that really be? I mean, I have a podcast. I'm used to recording my own content. I can totally do an audiobook when I'm ready. And, you know, throughout this year, this book, I mean, I've gotten to spend a lot of time with this book, you know, been in front of lots of people. I've been on lots of different podcasts and, 
It's gotten multiple awards. I'm really proud of all that stuff. It's a 2023 Axiom Business Book Silver Award Medalist in the Work-Life Balance and Time Management category. It's a finalist in the Page Turner Awards, an NYC Big Book Award, Distinguished Favorite, and a Reader Views Bronze Reviewer's Choice Award, a Books Excellence Award winner, and I'm I'm all I'm just so proud of all of those things. And like I said, I've kind of promoted it in lots of different places. And it's been an amazing year of teaching leaders about the Values First framework and getting feedback from them on how it has impacted your lives, your lives. So readers have told me about their personal stories of clarifying their values and using those to make small and huge life decisions, like deciding to leave their job or to start a new business or to negotiate more money in a job interview and being successful in that because they built out their own non-negotiables and boundaries in their job search. Those are the things that I am most proud of. But throughout this year, I have been, I've, I thought, pretty close to the content in this book. I've been talking about it a lot. But, you know, when it was really time to celebrate this book, I decided let's create the audiobook. This is time, right? So I thought it would be relatively straightforward because I'd been talking about the book and the book's content for so long by this point. I mean, it's a book about my content and my career and my life. So I thought, how hard could this be? Well, harder than than you'd think it would be is what I would tell you. I was in a room with a producer who was listening to everything that I was recording and they had set up an iPad with the book script on it so that I could use that to read from. Again, you can't read from an actual book because turning the pages makes too much noise. So as I started reading... Eric, the producer, he would direct me. And when I first started, he gave me feedback to bring up my energy and my tone. And he was also reading along the script at the same time. And he told me like when I missed words and he would cut production and say, okay, hey, let's re-record this one sentence. You missed this word. Or hey, you switched these two words around. And woo, I did that often. So it actually took a lot longer than I thought to record. It is a process. It is it was a really interesting process and I, you know, I hadn't read the book cover to cover for over a year at the time of the recording of the audiobook. And what surprised me most was that, you know, I I kind of fell in love with it all over again. I'm I'm just so proud of this book and this work. And I left each day knowing that the content in the book was just so important to get it out in the world. And there's a line in the book's introduction that rings so very true. It says, I hope this book helps you understand a perspective that's different than your own. This is my perspective. And let me tell you, as an introvert, It is both freeing to get this down on paper and also extremely terrifying that it is now out in the world. And I will say that that um, that passage still holds now as the audiobook is now out in the world. It is still both freeing, but also terrifying to get it out in the world, even though it's already been out in the world for a year now. This is different somehow because it's me reading it with my own voice in your ear, kind of like you're listening to it now. 
So if you like this podcast, then I think you will love the audiobook. Next, I want to highlight some of my favorite guest episodes from season three. On a whim one day after teaching a university class, I wrote a note to one of my favorite authors inviting her to be a guest on the podcast. Liz Fossling wrote No Hard Feelings and Big Feelings, in which they highlight the important big feelings and scenarios that show up at work. Liz is also an iconic illustrator whose illustrations you've most likely seen, even if you don't know it, on LinkedIn or Instagram, which often perfectly portray a big feeling at work, whether she is capturing it, how it feels to be a protagonist or being overwhelmed at work. And Liz accepted the invitation to be on the podcast, and I couldn't have been more excited. So I want you to listen to our conversation about burnout and her own experience with it from episode 101 big feelings with Liz Bosling. I'd love to dig in a little bit more on um, two of the big feelings that you Mm -hmm. talked about. So first let's talk about burnout. And I, I resonated so much with the first myth there. And, and and it was really about um, this idea that you don't realize how bad it is. Kind of this idea of and I, I coach um, women and they come to me when they're like, I just don't want to reach burnout. But as you hear them talk about it and their day and what it's like and what they're feeling, the big surprise, you're already in it, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, you're so deep in it. You don't realize it until yeah. somebody else might that you, that knows you well, or um, is asking the right questions can, can see some of those signs. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I, and then I'm curious to hear if these also resonate with what you hear um, with the people that you coach. So yeah, spoke to, I just remember this quote that stuck with me was, um, spoke to someone who specializes in burnout and he said, yeah, people tend to talk about it as the moment when you just can no longer get up off the couch. And in fact, what usually happens is that burnout taps you on the shoulder over and over and over and over again until it hits you with a bus. And we're really bad at listening to those feather taps because we glamorize oh, I, I'm just, I'm so busy. I can do it. I'm a superwoman. I can balance it all. And that, and there's nowhere in there is any reward for saying, you know, I'm not going to do anything today, which is actually often what we need. And I experienced this last, I would say, yeah, summer of 2021 or 2022. Now the years go by. (laughs) I thought I was doing okay. I knew I was stressed, but I thought I basically had everything handled. And then my husband asked me, in passing just to send him a calendar invite for this dinner we had coming up and I burst into tears Mm -hmm. and it was just like you know it would have taken 10 seconds but I I just it was like I cannot have one more thing that I need to think about or that's on my to-do list and how dare you put this on me it was I just had this immense reaction and that was one of those signs of whoa this is I'm not doing as well as I thought other ones that I commonly hear are the idea of getting sick, not, you know, COVID sick, but getting a cold or having some kind yeah. of socially acceptable reason to you know clear your calendar for a day sounds really appealing, right? That's a horrible place to be in. If you're like, I hope I get a cold. And then that one that resonates the most with people is this concept called revenge bedtime procrastination. You're exhausted, you go to bed, and instead of falling asleep, you take out your phone, you get on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, the news, whatever it is, 
And it's none of those things are necessarily bad. It's just when they when you're self sabotaging, you're not getting the rest you need. And it's a it's usually a sign that you're trying to claw some form of control. A lot of people say like, this is the only me time that I have throughout the day. And it's, you know, that shouldn't be the only me time, it can be hard to carve it out. But like, usually there are actually small things you can put in place. So yeah, I'm curious if that if that's what you're hearing, or if you would add anything to that list. Yeah, the that list it resonates so much. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, and yes. <laughs> and <laughs> um, yeah, the the extending of the day, like that's very popular. Like mm-hmm. I'm I'm also guilty of this. I have right. been yeah. <laughs> trying to set boundaries around this myself. Um, and like turning my phone off and screen time mode and all that kind of stuff. And the other thing I would say is the health things have gotten your point on, oh, I wish I was sick so I could not work. But also, I also hear it's just a cold. I need to keep working or I have COVID and I'm working from home. It's fine. That kind of thing. The next episode I'm highlighting from season three is my conversation with Sunaina Sinha-Haldia. In season three, we highlighted how women in C-suite roles are leading with their values. In episode 102, Leading with Growth Mindset, Sunaina highlighted her own experience on how she builds a culture of growth mindset and how she holds her team accountable to living the company's values. I cannot tell you how much I love this conversation because she is teaching us how you can reward individuals on how they attain results, not just the results that they get. And the how is the living out of the company's values. Let's take a listen. Within your teams and companies that you've led, how do you reward that ability to be a ninja at failure? How do you do that within the teams that you lead? Firstly, I do that by setting the value system as the growth mindset and explaining to newcomers and old timers alike what the growth mindset is, because people tend to forget. Number one. Number two, by making it okay to make mistakes, you suddenly open up the accountability set, right? So instead of people constantly blaming each other, you suddenly get the odd person here and there starting to embody a different type of accountability, which is actually, I should have done that better. I should have caught that. And then for them to see me react to that as their leader, to say, thank you for owning that. Glad we learned the lesson. Moving on. Every time we get something wrong or we lose something, right? So for example, we may be pitching for a piece of business for a new client and we lost that. I make sure I speak to the team that's involved. Hey, what did we learn from this? right? The emphasis on what did we learn from this, not who did this that got it wrong, that lost us the pitch. It's like, what could I have done better? What did we learn from this opportunity? And to make that constant learning and evolution and growth a part of the day-to-day journey here. My mantra is simple, Laura. If I have somebody who walks into my office and says, you know what, such and such a thing has gone wrong or hasn't gone as well as we would have liked, And here, you know what, I'm reflecting on what I could have done wrong. Or here are the two things that I've discovered we could do better. Or actually, I own my part on this, my bad. I have all the time. I will give that person a thousand chances, right? Because at least they embody the growth mindset. And it may be that I give them a number of chances and they're still getting that role wrong, but they embody the values of my business. And then they have to be repositioned to another role where they can thrive. 
But at least I've got someone who can learn and learn quickly. That adaptability and learning muscle is there and real. If I had the flip side, if someone was like, well, it wasn't my fault. I didn't do it. I don't know what happened. I didn't do it. It, it wasn't me. Right? If that's the defense mechanism that goes up every time something goes wrong, then that forget how good that person is at their job. They're likely not a good fit for our organization. So these types of values come from the top. So you, you don't have to be in the C-suite to set these. You, if you're running a pot of people, you can just talk to them about the importance of this constant learning and evolution. And most of the best learnings in life come through moments of pain, come through failure, come through tough feedback, right? So it really comes from whoever is running that team to be able to say, hey, this is important. Let's focus on learning here rather than bashing each other up on, on failure. I love that example of setting a value system. And with that example, it's growth mindset. Then you modeling the behavior as the leader, and then you reinforcing it within one-on-ones and team meetings. And to your point, if they're living the value, the outcome is less, it's more about the how and the behaviors of that value. And so if there's incongruence in some of those, then to your point, it's a it's a misalignment of values and culture. And so that's the, that's the indicator that maybe this isn't the right fit for the person and for the company. That's right, Laura. And and we take this one step further. We have a two by two system of measuring performance, right? On the Y axis, on the vertical axis is, is KPIs, right? Is it's whatever the outcome is in your business, whether it's sales or revenue or profitability or whatever the numerical outputs are, if you're marketing, then it's, then it's obviously engagement stats and so on. doesn't matter what it is, but we have that performance at low high. On the horizontal axis, on the x-axis, we have culture fit, low and high. And we describe to everybody on our team what culture fit means. We say it's growth mindset, it's these values, and they're written down and we show them to everyone who joins our team. And that's on low high. And at the end of each year, we rank everybody on the team. Where are they on this two by two? Our superstars are those that embody both high highs, right? Those are the folks we want to retain. They obviously get the culture and they get then they're performing. Phenomenal. You know, the second most valuable person on the team is someone who's high on culture, but low perhaps in performance. For that person, I've got a lot of time to think about a different role, to think about a different uh, way of approaching them, or maybe they get to work in a different part of the organization. That's a keeper for me. It's just about finding the right tasks and responsibilities for that person. Tougher are those that are low on the culture, right? So there, if someone's low, low, that's probably an easy call. And if someone's really high performer and low on culture, then it's all about coaching. And that's where coaches like yourself come in. And we are, are you know, Raymond James in general is a heavy user of coaching and and so am I in, in my business where we will deploy coaching to move some of those folks over to the right side because they obviously they know how to do the job. It's just that they need to embody the culture and the values a bit better. Next, I want to highlight an episode that generated many personal messages to me about how to align your money with your values. The messages ranged from, whoa, I had never thought about it this way to, oh my goodness, I am embarrassed that I have been neglecting this, but this episode gave me the confidence to start. 
on episode 104, Financial Strategy Aligned to Your Values with Jennifer Sapel. Jennifer shows us how we can increase our financial acumen and do it in a way to align with our values. Listen to this clip where we talk about the shame of not knowing more. One of my values is shedding light on things that are often hidden under shame. And so I am willing and open to talk about any subject that's helpful for people. Oh, thank you so much for sharing your story. I think so much of what we've been through drives what we're doing now. And I love that this has shaped what you're doing now, because now you can impact so many women and people to really dig into that shame and give us some tools to figure it out. Because I would guess that I know I personally do. I feel not as confident and not as competent. I'm getting better, but at like all the financial stuff. And there is shame around not being like the primary person. So in my family, my husband loves all that stuff. And I have just let him kind of be in the driver's seat, which he loves. And we do, you know, financial updates together and we make decisions together and all that kind of stuff. But I, I'm not the primary driver of it. And as somebody like a type A, like totally same here, I kind of, my hands are not completely off the wheel, but you know, I I could be more involved. And I, I would guess that lots of other women or other partners are in the same boat Mm -hmm. and there's lots of shame around that. So we're, we can dig into that. I'd also, you mentioned one of your values Um, what are some of the other ones that you hold, um, that kind of drive some of your decisions, whether financial or not? My number one is authenticity. Mm. I have a really hard time with people or things that are not authentic. Uh, and I've done like the Brene Brown workbook. That's like, you know, this, all of them and like narrow them down. And I, I have a few others, like, uh, equality is definitely high on the list. So dispelling shame like i and i think that's part of being authentic right that that we pretend we walk around and we pretend like these things don't happen to people we pretend like we all know what what we're talking about with money uh, or that we should know what we're talking about with money we pretend like people don't die or people don't you know get harmed every day under like terrible circumstances we pretend like people don't you know get injured or whatever uh so i think being authentic and like confronting the human experience and equality are all kind of like along the same lines. And that's my bag as far as values go. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing. So as we dig into this, I think the the overall question is how can we use our values to mm-hmm. guide our financial decisions? And that I know that is a very big question to unpack, but I would love to see if we could start to unpack this. I love it. Okay. So yes, what you mentioned is that like, you're not the one who does it. Your husband does it. That is so common. So totally normal, totally common. I talked to a very, very uh, wealthy and uh, prolific and amazing physician recently. And she was like, yeah, I'm like a 1950s housewife with when it comes to money. Like I'm totally clueless. I have no idea what's happening. So the, here's the thing, the shame shame is a tool for oppression like it's not completely unintentional that we feel like we know more about money than we do 
and that's just kind of like a broad systemic thing. But the reality with money is that money is a like life skill set, right? So knowing how to use a spoon to eat your cereal or driving a car or sailing, sailing is not a life skill, but like learning how to sail, those are all skill sets that you did not, you were not born knowing how to do. You had to learn how to do those intentionally. And the thing with money is that a lot of us in my household, we were not taught intentionally how to use money as a tool, like we were. I was very specifically taught how to use a spoon and how to walk and how to dress myself, how to brush my teeth, right? All of those kind of life skills, how to like do my own laundry. Those things I was explicitly taught growing up, but I wasn't taught anything about money growing up. I would say that's the case. Most people I talk to, that's the case in a lot of households. People who had households where their parents actually sat them down and intentionally had money lessons feel less of that I should know more kind of shame burden. So that's one is just recognize money is a skill set. All skill sets are awkward when you're new to them. And the only way to get better at a skill set is by doing it. You can read about how to drive a car all you want. You can watch videos, you can take classes, but until you actually get behind the wheel and when you first do it, you're terrified, but the more you do it, the better you get at it. So that's my like best tool in the realm of de-shaming money. I love it. And I, and I, when you were talking about it, it brought me back to like childhood thinking like, how did I learn about money? My mother was, is still the primary like payer of bills. And I remember her like at the check, like getting her checkbook out and like doing the balancing. And she was actually the lead in our house. So it's, it's even more interesting now that I'm like, huh, I wonder how that didn't stick for me. But like, did uh, she ever sit you down and say like, Hey, do this with me? I think, I feel like she probably did. I remember, I remember watching her do it. I mean, she was a mother of four. Everything was chaos and loud and in our Italian house growing up. But I know that she taught me how to balance my checkbook. She's there always intentional about we all, we had savings accounts. And if you want that, you can spend your own money. And this is how you can do that. Like we had all those conversations. So it's really interesting to think about, think about that. And like, did it take or did it not take? I'm sure some lessons she'll probably listen to this and be like, Laura, I did totally teach you how to do this. But, uh, but um, even that, like the, there's like shame and like, what did I not, how did I not carry that over? Right. Yeah. Well, and then there, and then there's the, you have to use it part, right? Like yeah. if you're yeah. using it, even if you had learned the skill, eventually you, you forget uh, or need a refresher. And I'd say it's perfectly fine. Give yourself permission in your household, like any other household maintenance activity, it's perfectly fine for, for one partner to lead and another partner to you know lead in other things and like have a division of labor that way. So there's no need to feel ashamed that that's the case. There's still elements of like the household financial situation and decisions that both parties or all parties absolutely have to be a part of. I love when I get to bring on guests that I have worked with personally, my coaching clients, these amazing leaders that are on a development journey. And I'm excited to highlight this episode number 121, advocating for yourself with Alicia Ray. 
Listen to this clip from Alicia, an accomplished artist and executive on how she says yes, and more importantly, what she says no to, and the difference between the two. A lot of my experiences have, have come together um, and my, my willingness to be open, I think has been the biggest thing to help me make progress. And that's something I often tell people who are curious about, like, you know, you have a lot of young people coming behind and they're like, well, how did you do this? How did you make it into this space? I'm like, literally just be open to the possibilities, um, which is how I ended up in commercial real estate, literally through LinkedIn conversations. Like, what do you think about commercial real estate? I'm like, well, what is there to think about commercial real estate? And then after having a few conversations, there was this light bulb moment, like, oh, this could actually be interesting. Um, and so that's, I think the, the biggest takeaway is just being open to the possibilities and not limiting yourself based on what you think you know or don't know. Yeah. And I, um, I love that about you. I feel like I've gotten to know you over the last couple of years and I have seen you do this. It's like, I follow you on LinkedIn. I'm like, Oh, there she is ringing the bell at the New York stock exchange. Oh, there's so random. <laughs> oh, there she is, you know, being listed in this, you know, most influential people, to watch in this space or in that space or in just the experiences that you are that you open yourself up to being a speaker at different conferences in the tech space, like all of those things. Um, it feels like you've um, said yes to things, but you've but since we work together, also, you've also said no to some stuff. So tell yeah. me about Yeah, so let, let's talk about some of that. Like it, it feels like your career, you figured out what to say yes to and kind of what to say no to. So tell me more about that. What, what of the, what's the differences between the yeses and the nos? Oh, the yeses and the nos. That's a, that's a daily struggle. I feel like I've gotten better. Um, you've certainly changed my life for the better. Um, and certainly understanding my values have helped me to make those decisions a little bit more easier. Um, look, I, one of the things that I also enjoy doing is helping others. And whether that's through service in my community, my church, within the workplace, or just within my network, you know, I'm always willing to kind of figure out where I can be of support, but that is exhausting at times, right? And there are also spaces that I have had to accept that I've outgrown. And so for me, I don't want to sit and take up space where we should really be making spaces, space for other people. I've had to evaluate whether or not something is going to be a good use of my time or if it's going to benefit someone in a very specific way. It's, you know, it's been a journey for me because I typically, I'm a people pleaser. And I think that's the other thing I've had to recognize about myself. Like I never want to let anyone down no matter what. And I will wear myself out to make someone else happy. And I realized that that wasn't healthy because I also experienced burnout for a short stint and in that moment, I had to go through that alone, right? And, and really think through, are these the things that you should be focusing on? What are the things that are going to be the most impactful? What's going to help you find the balance? What's going to help you kind of get to the next step? And what are the things that you really need to leave behind? And so for me, a lot of the decisions that I've made within the last couple of years is to step back from a lot of grassroots initiatives, a lot of community focused work, which I had been previously involved in. That's how I met my husband, actually. And we're both kind of cut from the same cloth where we're just like, yeah, we've got to save the world. And it's like, really? Um, there are other people out there equipped 
to help in the journey. But for me, I really had to find the balance between the things that were happening outside of my, my house um, and outside of my career and really start to focus on myself because I had neglected myself for so many years and didn't even realize it. You know, I would look at taking a nap as just like this huge kind of like moment in my life when it's like, no, you should be sleeping regularly, right? You should be eating on time. You should not be eating at like five o'clock or trying to cobble together all three of your meals by five o'clock. And so I've had to really take a step back and really, you know, refocus. Um, and that's a, that's a daily challenge. Um, and it required me saying no to projects. It required me saying no to events, whether or not it was local or flying across the globe, which I love doing, but sometimes it's not realistic. And it had, it, it required me saying no to people and sometimes even not giving an explanation. Cause I think sometimes for me too, it's always like, oh, I've got to like validate why I'm not doing this. And like, no is a word period. And, um, being feeling empowered to do that and feeling more confident to do that has been has been amazing to be quite honest with you i wear less concealer because of it another guest interview that i am still thinking about is my conversation with sharice floyd an expert on building your thought leadership Listen to this clip from episode 123, Building Your Thought Leadership with Cherise Floyd, as she talks about how important a journey of self-discovery is for leaders to share their leadership messages to larger audiences. She also breaks down what thought leadership is in big spaces and how all of us can use it in smaller scales, internally or externally. When you're working with women, if there is that misalignment, what is, and I see that sometimes too, right? So they're in these big jobs or they're trying to advance career. They have to make these big decisions if they find themselves in misalignment. How have you found just getting clarity and understanding and bringing in that thought leadership has gotten them closer to what they want and to make those decisions that they know they need to make, but they just really haven't? You know, it's again, just this, this process of self-discovery, like really, truly, once the light bulb turns on, like the type of experiences that you have and you know, like you're really operating from this story and not necessarily from the present moment, you're operating from the historic story and the story that you're telling yourself about what you can do and can't do, that you really, I have seen that women start doing a major shift. Now, there are people that go through this and being in a C-suite is absolutely what they want and every and that is great because it's really about what do you want, like not telling right. you what's, what you can do and what you can't do because autonomy is my top value. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I see how it, it continues to play out in my life and where it has been playing out in my life. But once they kind of come to that realization of what they want, then they start, it, I will say some of them start making a plan to do it differently because yeah. sometimes it can be buried so deep that it is what it is, right? You're like, okay, I know all of this, but I'm just gonna, I just, I have to live with it. It's what it is. But I do get 
women to kind of understand there's a lot of talk now now that we're much more self-aware much more we we talk a lot more about trauma we talk a lot more about healing and toxic workplaces and all of those things yeah. is to get people to understand where um we all have that ability to be toxic so if you are in a leadership position and you have not gone through a process of self-discovery and self-awareness that you could be the issue you mm. you know and so that's where we see a lot of this this mean girl culture coming from um we see a lot of bad leadership happening um because i work from the position that leadership is not about a set of skills and a criteria so so to speak it's a relationship that you have with yourself and how you handle other people is a demonstration of that relationship mm. so if you are rude and you know mean and all of those things that's really telling the world that you there's a disconnect between your you're not in alignment with yourself and mm. thus all of us become the victims of that so once people kind of get it and it switches on um then we start building out a plan for what that leadership actually really truly is and what it looks like a lot of the clients that I work with have a desire to speak. They have a desire to write books. But even when you're working in a corporate environment, there are a lot of um, where we have to speak every day, no matter what industry we're in. But there are certain industries like law and real estate and health where we're speaking a lot and presentations become important. And so being able to um, speak to what you truly believe and people have that fear of public speaking it's not necessarily a fear of public speaking it's a it's a fear of failing at something that you don't think that you're good at in the public sphere yeah, <laughs> because yeah. we speak every day it's like but you 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 glamorize this thing about public speaking and so once it turns on people are you know we can make that plan to get you into a better position especially if you want to move industries because now we're building a platform where people can find you and offer you the things that you want. I really like how you've made that very tactical and it's and it's something that you can kind of break down to make it actionable. I love that it's you just kind of reframed what public speaking is mm -hmm. and you've you've given us kind of a formula of the kinds of things that you might speak about. So as you if you're a leader who has done this work of self-discovery, you cannot unsee it now, mm -hmm. right? So you're on a path <laughs> yeah. and you want to start to grow your thought leadership platform. That feels really, it could feel jaunting, but what does it tactically mean? So you mentioned potentially speaking in just different forums, um, sharing a different type of story. What does, what does a quote unquote thought leadership platform consist of? What could it consist of? So I'm going to go with the big ones that we know, and then I'll bring it down for us regular folks. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> big ones that we know, the, the people that we, we follow, like Oprah and Brene Brown and, you know, people that have their everywhere. Like you can clearly, if I said Brene Brown, we all know what her platform is, vulnerability and courage and all the things. So thought leadership in its grandest form is that um, you're speaking, you're building credibility, you're building authority, you're known for a specific thing. You've got, you know, books, you've got 
places where you're published, you know, you're you're showing up in in spaces where people are playing you, you know, quite a good figure for you to just show up and just do what you do, just to be who you are, right? Those are the big, big platforms. For those of us on a much smaller scale, we still use those elements, but we use them in relationship to our lives. So if I am someone who is in a job right now, I've done the self-awareness work, I know what I what it is that I want to do. So in addition to the question earlier where we talked about what is the thing that um, what's an experience you had that you don't want anyone else to have experienced? There, there's another question, what do you want to be known for? And then the third question, what does the world lose if we do not know your story? Ooh, so once that's good. People, that's good. Once, <laughs> once we answer those three questions, we can start building what the platform actually looks like. In this last clip, I want to highlight some important messaging from a solo episode. This is a message that I sometimes need to hear myself, even today. Several audience members also emailed me or sent me a message on LinkedIn about this episode and how they resonated with it. This is a side note. I love it when I get messages like that and it makes my day. So please reach out if you haven't. Send me a message on LinkedIn or Instagram. But let's listen to this next clip together from episode 120. You are already ready. I remembered a conversation that I had with a fellow coach colleague of mine a few months back. So we are both coaches, but we serve different audience, but both run programs that help women leaders advance their careers. And we do check-ins every few months together. And in one of our check-ins, we talked about how we had leaders that were interested in advancing their careers and talking to us, but they had not yet applied for our programs. Like they had interests, but they weren't sure if they were ready for our programs. Like they were having imposter syndrome over even applying to a leadership program. So even in that capacity, they didn't think that they were ready yet. And this was, we thought my fellow coach friend and I, we were like, wow, this is so ironic that this is happening, not even at the job level, but at the the development level. Like I remember one email exchange I had with one participant at the time that wasn't sure about her readiness for my, you belong in the C-suite group coaching program. She said that she felt like she needed assistance, that she was not getting the support that she needed from her manager and in her role, but she wasn't sure if she was ready enough to join the program. But in a moment of courage, she submitted her application and in an email to me, she mentioned that she put her resume in the freaking box and submitted her application. And I loved seeing that language in our email exchange. And for those of you that aren't familiar with the story, I opened up my book values first with a story from early in my career when I didn't feel qualified to apply for a job. Like many women, I reviewed a job description and didn't meet 100% of the criteria of that job. So I didn't apply, but when given another chance in person at a job fair, I grounded myself in my values of development and remembered that in fact, I love learning and then I can figure most things out. So I put my resume in the box 
and then ran away as fast as I could. So I couldn't undo my decision, but basically I submitted my application. Right. And so this leader had quoted my story and mentioned that she had submitted her application and put her resume in the box. She did the thing that she was scared to do. And I realized that in that discussion with my coach colleague, that we were witnessing that women just weren't feeling this way when just submitting their resumes for jobs, but also for other opportunities for growth and development. And so they don't feel they're ready enough to even apply to development opportunities. So today I'm going to dive deeper in this idea of you are already ready. So in the quiz, this is how I describe this idea of you are already ready. So you are already ready, but you don't believe it yet. This feels like Maybe you've been with the same company for a while or in the same role for a while. Things aren't bad per se, but they aren't as amazing as it used to be either. Maybe you've been in your role or a level for a while. It feels really safe to stay. You still get new opportunities in your role, but you feel stuck at a certain level. For instance, maybe you've been a senior director or a director for a while, but haven't progressed past that. You might still generally like the company and there really isn't an incentive to leave. So you're pretty comfortable, but you are still not fulfilled. Maybe you aren't being challenged. You still know that you want to achieve something when you're ready. And that's the key word when you're ready. The organization hasn't promoted you yet. So you must not be ready, right? And the spoiler is this. You are already ready. You are. You may not believe it yet but your work isn't being recognized for promotion for whatever reason. You are already ready for bigger things. This looks like imposter syndrome. It looks like being passed over for promotion. It looks like being recognized with consistently great performance, but not enough to get to that next level, right? So I'm here to tell you, you are already ready. You've been ready. You are ready to apply to a bigger role. You are ready to keep growing. You belong in a bigger role. You belong in a space to develop and continue to grow. You are ready for that next thing. Even if you don't yet believe it yourself, I am here to tell you, you are already ready. I love this part of my job so much, building this podcast, hosting this podcast and episodes like this episode right here this year in review, give me the opportunity to highlight our accomplishments. I also want to give a huge shout out to the team who supports this work and the production of this podcast to Samantha for all of your support and managing the podcast, producing and editing. Thank you so much for your partnership and to Tina, who has been doing a fantastic job with our social media and video editing and ensuring all podcast content is out on our YouTube channel, which we're continuing to build. It has captions and subtitles. If you'd rather read along to this content, you can do that too. I couldn't do this work without your support and your unique talents. Thank you so much to our team. So stay tuned for next week when we talk about what we have planned for season four in 2024 for the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast, which we have already started recording some episodes for that will start airing in mid to late January, 2024. I will close this episode with a recent five-star review from Apple Podcasts from Mia NKC entitled Subscribe to this podcast. Mia says, 
a podcast for big thinkers with big goals, Laura reminds us and inspires us to know that not only do we belong in the C-suite, but that it needs us. Great guests, great topics, and a great host. This is a podcast to subscribe to and listen to on the regular. Thank you so much for this amazing review. We love getting everyone's feedback. And just as we close, a huge thank you to all of our listeners for your support of this podcast. Remember, your leadership belongs here. You belong in the C-suite. I want to thank you so much for listening to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. If you are enjoying this content, please remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. By leaving a review, you are helping others find this content. We will be featuring five-star reviews on air in upcoming episodes. Editing and support for the podcast is done by S&E Podcast Management. To get more tips and tools to help you live a life guided by your values, go to thecatchgroup.com. Keep your boundaries and take care.